I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Voice the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Recapping another difficult loss for ECU, the second in four games this year that probably should have ended with an East Carolina victory. Instead, we are recapping an East Carolina loss. They lose to the Navy midshipmen 23-20 in double overtime. Owen Daffer can't make the 37-yard field goal at the conclusion of the second overtime to extend the game to a third overtime, but let's be honest, the game should have been over well before that. We'll get into that a whole lot more. And I'll offer my thoughts. Also ask for your questions, comments, concerns on Twitter. We'll get to most of those. And, you know, this is just, it's a it's a much different loss than the NC State game, and they have very similar feelings for clear reasons, but this is really the first game of the Mike Houston era where the Pirates were heavy favorites. And look, I disagreed with the 17-point line from the get-go. I thought it was ridiculous. Now, Navy is not the Navy that has beaten down ECU in the past. And again, this is a game ECU should have won. But 17-point favorites I thought was just ridiculous from the jump um, for the reasons I mentioned going into the game. On our final podcast with Bobby, they were going to look at this game as their last chance to really turn around their season. They put a ton into this game. It showed with all the different looks they went well on offense, on defense, and, you know, give credit to them. I do want to firstly mention that Navy defensive coordinator Brian Newberry called one of the best games I've seen. And, and, you know, everybody, if you're an ECU fan, you listen to this podcast, 99%, if not 100% of the people listening are ECU fans. So they want to know, hey, why why did ECU fail? They don't want to know, hey, why did the other team succeed? We got to remember, and I'm not trying to make excuses for ECU here, the other team gets paid a lot of money. They get time to practice too. Like, they're trying to win the game too. It's not just ECU always screwing up. Yes, they messed up multiple times yesterday. Yes, they should have won the game, but I thought – Navy defensive coordinator Brian Newberry called a tremendous game. I had a feeling this was coming based on how well ECU's offense dominated last year's game and did not expect it to look as erratic offensively as it did. 
but Newberry out-schemed. He out-coached ECU's offensive staff. He out-schemed and out-played Holton Aylers. You know, last year, Holton really did whatever he wanted against Navy's defense. Only five incompletions, 400-plus yards, wasn't sacked once, had the best game of his career, arguably. This was not one of the best games of his career. This was the easily his worst game of the season. And unfortunately, you know, you, you play 12 games as a starting quarterback in college football. It's hard to be elite every week. He was grading out near elite through the first three games. Hadn't turned the ball over since the NC State first half. But unfortunately, this was a step back at the wrong time for Aylers and the rest of this offense. And we'll get into that as we move forward. And that's just the most frustrating thing is we make such a big deal about stopping Navy's triple option attack. And it is so unique. But Navy's defense, as I mentioned going into the game, pretty damn good itself. And Newberry's done a heck of a job there since arriving ahead of the 2019 season. So you get so caught up in in stopping the triple option. Well, ECU finally does stop the triple option, at least the running part. They held Navy to 2.9 yards per carry on 66 rushing attempts. By far the best showing ECU's ever had against the run when playing Navy. Gave up some cheap passing plays again. And third and long, they let Navy convert a couple of those, which quite frankly are inexcusable against a triple option team. Just easy, easy rollout pitch and catch plays. I mean, this is just like little league football type stuff that you can't give up. And I get they're trying to prevent against a big play, but both of those were critical third and long conversions during the game. But the defense played well enough to win. And offensively, you have to score more than 17 points against Navy, no matter how good they scheme you up. You've got talent advantages everywhere. I thought the offensive line was maddeningly inconsistent in the run-blocking phase of this game. There were times where Navy would just bring three or four guys and would easily penetrate the offensive line and get into the backfield and create havoc. Uh, I did think as the game went on, the play calling on first down was not good. It continuously set up ECU in second and third and long as it became clear the Pirates would not be able to run the ball consistently on first down. And Look, some of that was Navy early in the game was dropping in the coverage, but in the second half, they were taking away the run. They were blitzing a lot on first down, and it just got to the point where it was clear the Pirates weren't able to run the ball effectively, and they were just setting themselves up for failure. And yeah, you don't want to throw the ball every first down, but at some point you do have to say, all right, what we're doing isn't working and you move on and you know that's that's something you'll you'll kind of debate I'm guessing if you're the coaching staff going into film review over the next couple of days um you know third down offense improved as the game went on was not good in the first half they weren't able to hit the third medium and second overtime when they had a chance to win the game with a touchdown and you just kind of had that feeling as Owen Daffer trotted out there and again nothing against Owen but there's such a difference between playing or kicking for the win versus kicking for the tie in terms of pressure. If you're kicking for the win like he did at Navy last year, if you miss the kick, so what? You go to overtime. But when you're kicking for the tie, it's all on you. You miss it, the game's over, you lose the game. And after having already missed the NC State kick, you just didn't have a good feeling when he tried it out there. And uh, he hit it well, but missed it. Second time he's missed the a difficult clutch kick this year. The Navy kicker, having never attempted a field goal in his life, in his life, made three, all three field goal attempts, every extra point, hit a 43-yarder into the boneyard 
to tie it at the end of the first overtime, I honestly really thought he was going to miss that. And so that one of the many differences in the game that allowed Navy to escape with the victory. Uh, and, you know, the big thing, and I don't want to harp on this one play, but Holton Aylers took blame for it after the game. And, you know, you, you just can't make that throw at the end of regulation. There's just it's very reminiscent of the Houston game last year when he had a chance to run ECU across midfield. Yeah, you need yards to get in the field goal range, but you got timeouts. You just can't can't risk a turnover there. I mean, I know that he had just seen Isaiah Winstead. We got a question from somebody that asked, um, and I'll go ahead and get to this, basically asked what was Holton Aylers looking at on that play. Well, what he was probably thinking is he hit Isaiah Winstead on a similar play a few I don't know if it was the same drive or the previous drive, but a few plays earlier where he was scrambling and hit Winstead on the run, but it was a much more open window. And this one, there was a guy on Winstead and there was a guy cutting across, and it was just a poor throw. It was a bad decision from your fifth-year quarterback, a play he can't make. He's not going to get benched for it because Mason Garcia right now is not an upgrade for Holt Naylor's. People need to stop with that. The bottom line is he made a bad play at the worst possible time. Again, he had played great football through the first three games, the best we've seen him play, but this has unfortunately been a a theme for Holton is that when he makes these plays, they seem to be at the worst possible time and unfortunately cost ECU games in many ways. And, and, you know, there's other things that need to be pointed out. Without Holton Anders, would ECU be in this spot? You know, I doubt it. He made some good throws throughout the game as well. He did miss Winstead on the – uh, early in the drive when Wednesday kind of leaked behind the defense against a, a deep zone where he was able to leak behind them and, and Aylers tried to hit him but overthrew him by a couple steps and not an easy throw again but a throw that Holden would like to have back it's probably a, a walk-in touchdown if you make that throw um, so yeah just a bad time for Holden not to have his best game and I would expect him to bounce back next week against South Florida but this is a difficult one to swallow in the meantime, because you just expect a fifth-year guy not to make that decision. You take the yards, at worst you throw it out of bounds, or you even take a one- or two-yard loss, and you live to play another day. You just can't turn the football over on the edge of field goal range in a tie game at the end of regulation. And and Hopewell knows that. You know, we got to talk about it, but, um, again, hopefully he just doesn't make a, another mistake like that. Last point I want to hit on before we get to your questions I mean, I, I do think this is a, a good football team. And I honestly feel like they had had the chance to compete for a conference championship. But you can't lose this game realistically and expect to still be there at the end. And I'm not saying they can't do it. And the players in the locker room, they should still feel like they've got a shot. But Navy is probably going to be one of the worst teams in this league in terms of win and loss record. They'll be lucky to go 500 in the American their style of play does make them incredibly difficult to pl- prepare for, and they're going to win some games because of it. But if you're a conference championship contender, you had to find a way, in my opinion, to win this game at home and get off to a good start. Now you got to go on the road. You're already behind the eight ball. You're 0-1. Now you got two tricky road games against the South Florida team who's going to look at this Navy game or look at this ECU game a lot like Navy did coming into Greenville. Hey, this is our chance to get conference play going on the right note, turn around our season, we got to get this one. That is exactly how South Florida is going to look in this game returning home. And so you go to a tricky game at South Florida, then you go to Tulane, which has been 
odd to begin the season. They beat Kansas State. Kansas State goes on the road and beats Oklahoma, and Tulane loses at home to Southern Miss. College football is crazy sometimes. But either way, two tricky road games, and then you come home for Memphis, UCF, at Cincinnati, and Houston. So you've got a gauntlet coming up, and you're already behind the eight ball. In order to get back into the conference championship mix, you you know realistically, you probably need to to win out to guarantee yourself a spot. But at least you need to go six and one, which means you're going to have to go three and one on the road in conference play and undefeated at home. You're going to have to beat somebody like a Cincinnati on the road. You're probably going to have to beat UCF, Houston at home, and the bottom line is it just leaves you such little margin for error because of this loss. It sets you behind the eight ball, and that's that's difficult. Um, you just had to get this one, and I'm afraid that this is going to be one of those games you look back at the end of the year and you you just shake your head at that you should have had it, and because you lost it, you're not in the conference championship game when you feel like you should be. And maybe this... Maybe this will be the only loss of conference play, and they'll learn from this and run the table. But this is a uh, – I think this one's going to cost them personally. And I hope I'm wrong, but that's just my my gut take on it. Um, all right, so let's get into some of your questions on Twitter and comments. Clint Knox says, I hit on what Brett Hickman said on your site. It's a great feature if you're not a member of Steven's site. We called and played game – we called and played the game too conservative offensively. Yeah, so th- he's uh, Clint is referencing Brett Hickman, who we have on the podcast every now and then. He makes a kind of a morning after a VIP post. Great stuff where he kind of, I think, sit, he kind of sits on it the night of the game, thinks about what he's going to write, say, and then post on it the next morning, kind of like I do with this podcast. You know, you try not to get but so emotional, and so you kind of give it time to sit and you think about it and then try to, give some level-headed responses. Yeah, if you're not a subscriber, uh, definitely you know sign up. Check out Brett's work. He does a great job. Gives some very good X's and O's talk and also just, quite frankly, good opinions, and he speaks the truth. And I feel like, yeah, I, I would agree that offensively, I feel like they got in their own head. I think they had so much success last year at Navy. We knew Navy's going to come out with some different wrinkles. They did. They showed some different blitzes. They had not shown some coverages. And in the first half, they played a ton of coverage. In the second half, they were very aggressive. So they mix it up a lot after ECU kind of made some halftime adjustments. So, again, you give Navy credit. But I just thought ECU got into its head too much on offense. You know, we had seen Holton Aylers look so decisive on where to go with the football through the first couple of games, and we saw maybe a return to kind of hesitancy. And again, a lot of that credit to Navy, but still there were some guys that were open at times that he did not see. There were some plays where there were guys open. He got pressure at the exact wrong time. There were running plays where that were poorly blocked, and there were running plays where there were holes that guys missed. And there were plays that had no chance just because Navy out-schemed and out-coached ECU. And Again, as the game wore on, I felt like ECU put itself into too many second and longs with predictable first down runs. And, you know, something I have not mentioned yet, we got to talk about the injury to Keith Mitchell. And it's a it's a critical loss. I mean, we're talking about a unicorn of a running back. You lose that speed threat, even if he's on the field. If he's not touching the football, he's demanding attention. And all due respect to Rajay Harris, and he's a solid back. But Keaton Mitchell is an NFL player. You take him out of your lineup, 
and that is a major blow, and that's somebody Navy didn't have to account for but 13 snaps the entire game. And let's not act like that's not a big deal, and it would be a big blow to any offense. Now, ECU should still be able to overcome that and win the football game, but how many times has Keaton Mitchell bailed ECU out offensively with a big play when when they needed it? So not having that, that hurt. The flip side of that is, you know, you can't use that as an excuse. Injuries are part of the game. And maybe that opens the eyes of the coaching staff to say, hey, we got to figure out a way to be more consistently offensively, uh, consistent offensively and not just count on the big play from Keaton Mitchell to, to save us against good defenses. So that's that's maybe a positive that's going to come out of this game. I do think it is ridiculous when Keaton is healthy. Through four games, he has only caught three passes. And when you got a 4-3 running back and you're only getting him the ball in space three times through the air, that's a little disappointing to me. Um, two of those were swing passes. One of them was the halfback option against NC State. Got to get him the ball more, assuming he's able to come back healthy in the passing game. Three catches through four games, not going to get it done uh, in regards to Keaton Mitchell's speed and explosiveness in the passing game. All right, let's continue on with your questions on Twitter. Uh, NC Pirate, he's got a question about Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator, pulling it up here. He says, I have asked for the past two seasons, but it never seemed to gain traction. It seems as though that's now changing. When does Mike Houston have to start seriously considering that Donnie Kirkpatrick is a liability? So I wouldn't say, I mean, literally we have this conversation after every ECU loss. I mean, to act like this hasn't gained traction. This has been the topic for four years. This is what people like to talk about. A, they blame Holton Aylers, or B, they blame Donnie Kirkpatrick. Like, this is what we... I've, I've talked about this stuff on my podcast 99 times out of 100 after every loss. So, this is a common theme. Um, part of it is because the offense is inconsistent. Part of it is because football fans only blame the quarterback and the offensive coordinator half the time because that's easy to see. You know, again, I've, I felt like there were some missed calls in the game that Donnie Kirkpatrick wants to have back, I'm sure. I thought there was poor execution. You know, we got a question, was it play calling or execution? To me, it's always a mix. There was poor blocking. There were running backs who missed holes. There were quarterbacks who missed reads. You know, Donnie Kirkpatrick didn't throw an interception uh, on second and one with 30 seconds left. So, you know, there's just so much that goes into it. It's not any person's one fault. The thing I will say is, all right, this game offensively to me, yes, it's it's bad. It should have been better. But, you know, more times than not, you play a 12-game schedule, you're going to have a game you underperform. My thing is, is this going to be the game they underperform, or is this a sign of things to come? If it's a sign of things to come and this continues to repeat itself through conference play, then, then yeah, that's a problem. If this is a single aberration of a game where you were just out schemed you know you didn't play well offensively and you get back to normal kind of the offense we've seen through the first three games where they've graded out well they've put up big numbers even against an NC State defense that is really good I thought they moved the football well and showed promise if you get back to that then I think this game is just an aberration and it's just one of those games you you chalk up to that you should have been better but it happens so that's my concern. You know, there's no excuses now. They've had four years to build the offense. You got an experienced quarterback. You got pieces all over the place. 
Like, this offense should be good. And it has been good through three games. It was not good the fourth game. So, we'll see what happens going forward. You know, if you end up trending downwards offensively with the personnel you currently have through the rest of the year, then, yeah, that's going to be a major problem. But to act like somebody needs to be fired tonight after one bad game, um, considering where they've looked the first three games and considering they easily still could have won the game with some, some better execution, you know, again, let's not overreact. All right, next question. Um, Cameron Yarborough, he's got a good question. Do you feel that we have overcommitted to the run game on offense? Seems like our offensive game plan has taken a conservative approach. Extreme lack of aggressiveness and play calling so far on offense. Well, I mean, in this game, yeah. I mean, I feel like there was a conservative play calling. Against NC State, there was not. I mean, against NC State, they threw the ball like eight, like the first eight plays of the game. And to be honest, like I feel like I feel like they were conservative last night, and I don't know if that was a specific game plan thing or they that's just the way the, the game flow unfolded. But, it, you know, Brett Hickman made the point. It almost played like ECU was the option team and still running the, the triple option in terms of they were just so conservative. You know, they didn't run much tempo. Um just kind of a slow, prodding offensive pace, sustained drives. They did hit the big play to Winstead, of course, but it just, you never got into a flow offensively. And against Navy, you'll want to have them on their heels. Again, they do so much defensively where they're checking after you check. It's, again, very similar to ECU, what they do. So we credit Blake Harrell for his mastermind style of defensive play when somebody else does it. You know, we don't give them credit, so you got to credit Navy. But how you counter that is you run tempo yourself. You dictate the pace of the game yourself. And last night, Navy was doing that to ECU when ECU's offense was on the field. And that's that's not a recipe for success against that style of defense. And so, again, I felt like ECU was outcoached when Navy's defense was on the field for the majority of the game. That's just my personal opinion. And I think the box, the box score and the play reflects it. But, you know, it's something that ECU is going to have to learn from and get better. The good news is they shouldn't face another defense that difficult and multiple the rest of the year. But it is what it is. I mean, it's just it's just a bad night for the offense. Uh, getting back to your original question, Cameron, as far as the running game. I mean, Donnie Kirkpatrick, Mike Houston have all said they want to be balanced. They want to be able to run it and throw it. But I do think there comes a point where you have to realize – Hey, what we're doing on first and 10 is not working. You know, a two-yard loss consistently or a no-gain consistently in the running game versus even an incomplete pass every now and then or a seven-yard pickup in the passing game, there's a pretty big difference there. And I thought as the game wore on, ECU unfortunately just put itself in the second long too many times because they were too stubborn with the run game. So I will say last night, considering the ineffectiveness of it, I did think they – they hung with it a little too long, and considering Keaton Mitchell was not in the football game. So, yeah, just a disappointing uh, disappointing plays on first and ten uh, in regards to the running game, especially in the third and fourth quarter. All right, let's take a quick break. want to get to more of your questions, comments on the uh, Twitter uh, sphere, and we'll do that on the other side. We're recapping ECU's 23-20 loss to Navy. We'll be back with more on the Hoist of Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we are back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. We got a lot of more, we got a lot more questions about the offense, surprisingly. Um, Alex Williams says, why can the fans in the stands predict our offensive play calling so easily? What will we do to improve the offense? I think we kind of touched on that. ECU, for whatever reason, felt like it it needed to or should be able to run the football better. And I thought in the first half there were some times where, again, Navy was playing coverage. ECU ran the football. At times it worked. At times it didn't. They were getting beat on too many stunts or inside slant angles from the defensive linemen. And, you know, you just got to be better up front more consistently. If, you know, if they're run blitzing or they're blitzing, that's one thing. But just get uh, get beat consistently on stunts or inside slants or different things they're doing that are very similar to what ECU does defensively. You, you just have to be better. So back to the drawing board against that type of defense for the offense. Uh, Clint says, feels like we took a step back on offense this game. No, they had two weeks to prepare, but we have to score more points. We should have... We should have had favorable matchups across the field. How do we rebound offensively? One, get Keaton Mitchell back is the obvious answer if he's unable to come back. Get Marlon Gunn involved. Um, you know, Rajay, I thought he played a solid game. You know, there were times where I felt like there were a hole or two there that he missed that were blocked up pretty well. You know, he's got to be more consistent in the run game. I'm sure he'll he'll see that on film. But Marlon Gunn, we've seen the explosiveness as a freshman. As long as he can handle the offense, get him some more work. This is assuming Keith Mitchell isn't out. Uh, the other thing is, you know, no targets for Shane Calhoun, the tight end. Ryan Jones, when he was targeted, performed well. You know, it just feels like there should have been some more matchups there that ECU could have taken advantage of. They're just so much more athletic and bigger than Navy. And to, to kind of be held down in the passing game is a disappointment. But... Got to take advantage of those matchups. Got to make accurate throws. Can't fumble. Can't throw interceptions. Um, you know, no real deep shots in the game. I noticed that, although I will say Navy played off coverage for most of the game, and what they would do was they would play off coverage or they would play press and have a safety over the top. There weren't really many opportunities for deep throws that I noticed from up top in the tower. Um, so that was why we saw Holton Aylers be more conservative with the shorter throws. But they would play the off coverage and then try and jump the shorter routes. So there would kind of be a window in the intermediate passing game. The problem is when they blitzed or with some of their stunts, they would get home quicker than it took ECU to you know to get open to find a hole in the zone in the intermediate space. So got to be more consistent or 
you know, maybe assess the passing game in those situations where the defense is taking away the short and long stuff and find something in the intermediate game. You know, there were some plays where guys were open, like Jalen Johnson and Winstead, initially in the intermediate game, but it took Holton, you know, escaping the pressure and getting outside the pocket before he realized that. So that might be something they see on film that they can clean up from this game if teams try to replicate what Navy did. But the good news is you're not going to see as multiple a front as what East Carolina saw on Saturday. Uh, but you also want to learn from it and grow from it too. So there, there's just a lot that they have to clean up offensively. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it the offense looked pretty good through the first three games. It's just kind of head-scratching when you when you do take that, that type of step back. So Pirates have to respond. South Florida is gettable. If they look bad on offense again in Tampa, then uh, I'm a little bit concerned. All right, our next question comes from Charles. He says, kind of tailing off of Cameron's question, he asked about the running game earlier. How about more play action fakes to the tight ends or the wide receivers? This would help loosen up the running game as well. Finally, if we have the bowl within the if we have the ball within the opponent's thirty yard line and it's fourth and two or three, do you think we should go for it? Uh yeah, go for that. Yes. Based on how the kicking game is looking, absolutely. Um, your first question, how about more play action fakes? Yeah, not a ton of motion or play action in this game. And, you know, for a team that runs the ball so much, a little odd that there wasn't a lot of, like I didn't notice many RPO throws or just play actions in general. I'll have to go back and I've rewatched some of the game and not too many really stand out. You know, again, Navy especially with the way they were blitzing in the first half or the second half. There should have been something there, like a little pop pass over the middle on the RPO game or something where there was just, I mean, there were guys running free at the quarterback because they were bringing so many, and they they love to bring that little nickel back off the edge. You know, there should be something there, and there just wasn't. And, you know, that's something ECU's going to have to assess. You know, there were a few of those plays where Holton just tried to thread the needle to Winstead or Johnson – and the the DB made a nice play on it, but you know you get man coverage with with your receivers there. You you got to be able to execute not just on the quarterback side, but the the wide receiver side. I thought Wednesday could have made that catch on third and five and double overtime. I mean that's a one on one ball that you have to make the contested catch. You do that, you might you might win the football game. You at least have a first down and all the momentum instead of leaving leaving it up to a kick. So again, just so many plays offensively. That you look back on, you just shake your head, man. But, uh, yeah, that's about all I got. Uh, so, yeah, I would like to see more play action, though, getting back to your original point. Steve, the pissed-off pirate, he says, is this team better than last year? Were the expectations for this year's team unrealistic based on the fact that we had seven games last year that came down to the last possession? ECU was 4-3 and three in those games, but could have easily been 2-5, and 1-6, no, I don't think ECU is uh I don't think the expectations were unrealistic. Nobody was expecting a 10 and 2 season. You know, I had them at 8 and 4. I still think that's doable. I think anything within the 7 and 5 to 9 and 3 range. I mean, I think more realistically most people had 7 and 5, 8 and 4. Very few people probably had 9 and 3, 10 and 2. I think they were hopeful for that. So like, I don't think anybody was out here expecting ECU to go 10-2. and two. I mean, ECU's had two 10-win seasons in program history, and this is a tough schedule. So, 
I think the more disappointing part is everybody had this game as a win, but the more promising part is games like UCF, Houston, Cincinnati don't look as unwinnable maybe as they did or, or tough to win as we maybe initially thought. So is this team better than last year? Ultimately, Steve, time will tell. I think looking at it, looking at the personnel, the experience, I think this team is definitely better than last year. You know, we can't just ignore the fact that they should have beaten NC State. We can't just ignore the fact that they honestly should be 4-0. You know, you are what your record says you are, but there's also something to the point that this is a team that steamrolled a, a solid ODU squad in the fourth quarter. ODU that beat Virginia Tech should have beaten Virginia on the road. You know, Campbell, who knows what that really is. I mean, it's just such a fine line. You win the game, we're talking about, you know, how much better this team can be if they clean up things or 3-1, and one, still got a shot at a conference championship. But because Navy made all their kicks, because Holton Aylers threw the pick, because Owen Daffer didn't make his kick, we're sitting here saying – is this team overrated? Are they worse than last year? I just don't see a scenario they're worse than last year. I mean, they're better across the board. They're deeper, more experienced. I mean, outside of not having Tyler Sneed and Jaquan McMillan, I mean, that's really it. And I feel like they've more than made up for that with the additions of Ryan, of uh, Isaiah Winstead, Jalen Johnson, and some of the other guys offensively. The offensive line has performed better. So, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it's... It's just frustrating that they lost another game that they should have won. You know, the close game things, that's just going to be when you're a good football team and you're playing other good teams, you're going to have close games. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. And this honestly feels a lot like the Skip Holtz era, like where Skip just had some maddening losses to teams they shouldn't have lost to in frustrating fashion. And this is the first game that kind of feels like that. A lot of that's due to the style of play. You know, you play more of a defensive more conservative offensive plan that's what you're going to get you're going to get these close games and it comes down to making the plays so ECU did not make the plays on Saturday it cost them uh, the win maybe next time you're not as conservative offensively you don't put yourself in that situation yeah that's kind of what you have to hope for otherwise if you keep being in these close games you're tempting fate and if, if every single game against a quality opponent comes down to the end or to the very end, you know, you're not going to win every one of them. The odds just don't fall in your favor like that. So uh, I do think this is a good football team, but I think there are things that can be done both from a player and coaching perspective to take it to the next level. They have the potential. They got to be more consistent from an execution standpoint and from putting the players in the best position to succeed. And the other thing is, man, they got to figure out the kicking game. You can't miss kicks inside of 40 yards consistently. And that is a problem right now, and that is something that has to be addressed. Overall, Steve, I, I refuse to believe this year's team is is worse than last year. Um, and I think time will tell that they are better than last year. And if not, that is a major disappointment. If they go worse than 7-5, and five, I think that's a major disappointment um, for sure. But time will tell. I think, this, I think we'll look back at this game and be more frustrated at – as it holds ECU back. But I don't think it's going to be a game that kind of leads to ECU going, you know, say five and seven, six and six. I just just think it's going to be kind of an aberration game. All right. uh, More questions here. Destry says, is there anybody with the gonads on the staff to confront Houston about how completely off this game plan was? It played completely into the one Navy strength. Stopping the run between the tackles. So concerned about being in a Navy 
low possession game that they ignored passing. Well, I don't think ECU ignored passing. I do, again, we talked about it. I do feel like as the game went on, they played into Navy's hands in some regard. And Brian Newberry, their defense coordinator, out-schemed ECU. They won the game, and um, that was a big reason why. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that ECU is going to have to learn from. You know, you can't – you want to be a physical run-first team, and also, but when you lose your 1,000-yard rusher and you're not having success on first and 10 running the football at some point, you got to scrap it. It's just part of the deal. All right, Josh says that we put too much stock in beating a fairly new FES team in ODU and an FCS team in Campbell. Again, no. You know, if you lost the game to NC State by 40, then yes. But I don't think anybody was putting but so much stock in those games. They were quality wins, but it's just ECU played a bad football game against Navy, a team they should beat, and you can't turn the football over. You can't have uh, the mistakes they, they made can't have missed kicks and expect to win football games against a desperate team so uh yeah i don't i don't think anybody put too much stock in those games i just think ecu played bad at the wrong time uh working to ensure a viable future says is this the best product after four years of development is this offense capable of executing a play that is more complex than a high school team is donnie kirkpatrick capable of scripting a play beyond page two of his playbook i mean i get Frustrated fan questions. I mean, let's be real. This offense compared to 2019 is night and day. The personnel is so much better. This is the first bad game offensively ECU has had this season in four games. Again, if it continues and becomes a trend, I'm concerned. I'm conservatively saying that this is a one-game aberration due to Navy game planning, out-game planning ECU. If they don't bounce back against two decent defenses in South Florida and Tulane, then then I'm more concerned. But time will tell. Uh, again, there's plenty of weapons offensively, even with Keith Mitchell out. There's no excuse for this to continue, and I don't think it will. If it does, then we'll have that conversation. Uh, Grayson says, I know Navy is a beast to deal with, but do we put so much emphasis on them all year long that it doesn't allow the players and coaches to play free. Secondly, they talked about needing three running backs to get through a season when Keaton went down. Why didn't we see Gunn? Probably just a you know close game, tough spot to throw a true freshman into situation. He would have been next up, but I'm just guessing they didn't want to put him in that spot. But um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him for a series or two, uh, especially after a Rajay fumble there in the fourth quarter. Um, to the first part of your question, I kind of mentioned that going into the game to some guys, like I almost feel like ECU overemphasizes what Navy is and you do have to do it to a degree just because they are so unique. You know, they're different from anybody in your schedule. They're just a pain in the ass to play against and prepare for. And it's, it's, it's frustrating that. ECU just can't solve it, and it does seem to feel like it's almost mental, even though, you know, in reality, I don't know if it is, but it's like there's so much emphasis put on this game and the triple option, but then you stop the triple option is the thing. Like, you finally slow it down, and then you just play like crap offensively. I did think it was interesting that Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offense coordinator, said earlier in the week, basically this is the most stressful week of the year for the coaches due to how Navy plays, and 
you know, I, I just feel like this offense sometimes lacks flow and overthinks things, and I think this was one of those games. Like, And I think the way Navy called the game early in the contest got ECU off its game plan, and as they tried to adjust, they just could not find a rhythm, and they just have to be better. So whether that comes from over-preparing or overthinking it, I don't know. Only the coaches know that. Um Again, that's just – it's tough to say. I get what you're saying, though, Grayson. I, I made the same point going into the game that it felt like there was so much – I don't want to say pressure, but there was so much emphasis put on this game that it almost goes over the top. But when you're playing such a unique style, is there another way to do it? I don't know. Maybe another coach out there can let me know. All right. Sorry, I had to take a sip of some coffee there. Run on a few hours sleep. All right, when uh, Gino – Gino says, when do we look into getting a new OC, or do you think it's even a concern right now? Again, four games into a 12-game season. We do this every year, guys. We're not having this conversation four games in after one bad game offensively, and we'll see what the rest of the season holds. A lot to play out. Bobby says, simply put, what in the world was Holton thinking on the late fourth-quarter interception? We talked about this earlier. Yeah, he just thought... He could squeeze the ball into Winstead. He said after the game he should have should have ran it. And I think we all know that. All right, uh, Banana Bread guy. Some of these handles, guys, what are we doing? Uh, Banana Bread guy says, although not entirely on Daffer, there has to be accountability in that position. Do you foresee a change being made in the kicking department? I mean, I think there's going to be continued competition. You can't continue to miss kicks under 40 yards. And... You know, the good thing with Daffer is he hit it cleanly. Both of his misses against NC State and now this one, like he hit both of them good. He just missed each one. You know, the one against NC State, he pushed. This one, same hash, he pulls. And so it's not like he's just out there shanking kicks left and right. He's just missing it. So that is at least fixable, you know. Um, But if you can't make the kicks, if they don't go through, then – that's all that counts, and I will. I would expect continued competition. You know, Carson Smith is a very capable kicker on the roster, backing him up. If Owen continues to struggle, then maybe you see that change at some point in time. All right, uh, hey, great job, bud. I swear these handles got to be made up. Uh, he says after Keaton got hurt, he came back in for a play. Why didn't he get any more snaps? So, yeah, um. So this was uh, so I wrote the article that Keaton left with an injury, went to the locker room, then he comes back, goes in for I think a third and fourteen. It was a two back set with him and Rajay, and he ran like a little pass into the flat, kind of jogged out there, and was just in clear discomfort. So he ran that one play, came back in for that one play, then basically just walked right off the field, took himself out took his helmet off, tried to walk it off on the sideline and couldn't go. And I'm not a doctor, but it almost looked like a hip pointer or some sort of deal with his leg. He kept trying to stretch his leg out. And for them to evaluate him in the medical tent, take him into the back, and then let him come back into the game, clearly it's not like a situation where it's a broken leg or a torn muscle. It seems to be more of a pain tolerance thing, like a hip pointer would make sense. Mike Houston said it's not... Serious and the way he fell as he dove over a couple guys and landed on that hip back area makes sense. So hopefully it's something he can shake off. But for a guy whose game is built on speed, if he's in serious pain and that is limiting limiting what he can do, then 
you know, you don't want him out there. So hopefully with time, he will be able to get back to near 100% capacity. All right, a few more questions here, and then we'll wrap it up. Ben Gatewood says, Steven, I feel like the Navy defense had a really good game plan versus ECU. That's why ECU's offense struggled. Navy pass rush was really hard to deal with. People need to give Navy defense more credit. Do you agree? I mean, I kind of touched on that at the beginning, Ben, but I agree. I mean, again, not making excuses for ECU, and I know people don't want to hear this, but you have two weeks to prepare. If you're a multiple defense and you have an extra week to game plan and put even more stuff in, and you were embarrassed by how you played last year, they were motivated for this football game. And we saw that. Now, ECU still should have overcame that and won the game. I'm not saying that. They should not have done that. But you do have to give the opponents credit. I mean, I mean, damn, if Blake Harrell calls up a good game plan and shuts down Houston off a of bye week like he did last year, do we not give Blake Harrell credit? Yes, we did. So why can't we do the same thing for Navy while also understanding that ECU missed opportunities as well. Like, this is football. There's two sides to it. There's two sides that are trying to win. Sometimes you get out-schemed and you get beat. Other times you just screw up and you lose the game. And this was kind of a combination deal for East Carolina. They lost the game uh, with mistakes, and they got beat by schemes and execution. So just an all-around all around loss. Coaches, players, everybody. All right, Pirate Treasure NC, I believe this is our last question here. He says, what things did Navy see on film, games one through three, to exploit? Um, I think just the continued inconsistency of the offensive line in terms of being able to handle some of the stunts and blitzes. You know, in pass pro, I felt like it was pretty good, but running game – just seemed to be very hit or miss. There were too many guys leaking through that just should not be leaking through. That has to continue to be cleaned up. Also, I mean, I touched on it earlier, but shutting down some of the intermediate, or shutting down some of the shorter and deeper passes, leaving the intermediate stuff open, it just felt like it took ECU a long time to hit those routes when they were more open to start with. So that's something ECU is going to have to rectify to become more of a complete offense that moves the ball consistently. All right, well, that'll do it for our questions and comments on Twitter. And um, before we get out of here, new uniform just was revealed on Twitter. I mean, it's it's sharp. It's incredibly sharp, and it it just honestly kind of sucks that it comes after probably the toughest loss of the uh, Mike Houston era in terms of a game you needed to win. So that kind of is some salt in the wound, but still the uniforms itself, which will be worn for the October 15th game against Memphis are probably the best looking uniforms I've seen for ECU football. I mean, there is a combination of a throwback and kind of a modern look with a pull from each era. You've got the pirate script on the, on the helmet. You've got the block numbers from the late nineties, early two thousands with the David Garrard era. You've got the peach bowl stripes. It is a clean look. And I think it's going to look awesome. And you just hope the Pirates can win some games on the road, maybe come back with some momentum for that Memphis game in mid-October. But uh, we'll see what happens. Disappointing loss, for sure. ECU falls to 2-2. Two and two. Not where you want it to be, coming out of a four-game homestand to start the season, but it is where you are. So you got to figure out a way to respond with your backs against the wall to begin conference play. So we'll have many, uh, many other thoughts 
We'll have uh, maybe somebody on the podcast here in the next day or two to break it down along with myself. I want to continue to kind of rewatch the game, figure out exactly what happened offensively, but we'll dive into those issues in the coming days. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast and Hoist the Colors. And uh, keep hanging in there. Brighter days are ahead. The sun did come up this morning, and the world is not ending. But uh, we will be back with another podcast in the coming days and turn our attention to South Florida later this week. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Thank you, guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.